Sharon, the season of Christmas and giving is upon us again. Yes, it is, and it keeps coming around quicker and quicker. It certainly does, and during this giving season, you and I and our listeners have an opportunity to give two ways at once. As many of you know, Sharon and I support the ANA Foundation, and I currently serve on their board. The Foundation is a charitable organization devoted to anesthesia research, education, and development. All of which are very important to our profession. That's exactly right, Sharon, and it's the very reason to donate. However, we wanted to let you know that you can give to the Foundation during this season in someone's honor as a tribute, or if you've lost a loved one, a donation in their memory. The Foundation will send a card to the family letting them know that you've done this. What a lovely way to memorialize someone. You know, I will be donating in memory of my precious granddaughter, Emma Kate Breck, and that we lost this year. Also, as we're taping this, we found out we lost an icon to this profession. Patrick Downey, a former AANA president, another way to memorialize him is to donate to the foundation. Yes, Sharon, and I really hate we didn't get an opportunity to have Patrick on the podcast. That was always our plan. It's just so sad. If you'd like to donate, just go to the ANA Foundation within the AANA website under Ways to Give and Donate in Tribute or in Memory and Help Your Profession. Thanks so much, and Merry Christmas from myself and Jeremy. Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Good morning, Ms. Sharon Pierce. How are you doing this morning, Jeremy? I'm doing great on this Friday morning. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. I wish I was in the studio with you, and if you weren't so darn busy as of late, I'll tell you what, we this could time make of that year, work. It, it's crazy. Like I told you, I mean, we're gone almost every week. Between now and mid-December, I've got something either on the weekends or during the week. I mean, it's just absolutely nuts right now, so... I told Sarah the other day, I was like, you know, I just need one weekend at home just to veg and chill, but I'm not going to get it until 
probably closer to Christmas. So, but oh, yeah, what? Wait, cry me a river, you're right? You're not going to get it because it's going to be Christmas. <laughs> I say closer. Then, Maybe the weekend before is kind of what I'm looking at. <laughs> and then we've you got might as Christmas. Well just shoot and, for January at this point. Oh, she was wanting to take a trip to Aruba uh, the week before Christmas. I'm like, no, I am not going to Aruba. No. So, well, you, you would know. go to Aruba anyway. I, I have boycotted Aruba since that that girl oh, yeah. went missing. Yeah. I know she's fish food now, but well, you know, they were so ugly to that mother. Yeah, no, that was a difficult situation to say the least. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but yeah, we had some friends that just went and said it was beautiful. You know, we just got back from St. John, um, which was absolutely amazing um, um, down there. So did not want to come back from that one, but it was our 10th year anniversary. Well, happy anniversary. Thank you. Yeah, we you made it 10 no years. service. Huh? I think I went a whole week and didn't hear from you at all. Yeah, I mean, it was we were on the east end of the island, so it was very, very scattered when we had service. Um, and then the power would go out every once in a while um, at the house. So they had flashlights everywhere around the house, but the house was amazing on the side of a cliff overlooking the ocean with an infinity pool. I mean, it was great. I'd mm. turn the Sonos on, get my drink on, and, you know, I was good to go. Five o'clock somewhere. There you go. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Well, we have an amazing guest with us this morning. And, uh, you know, I know probably most of our listeners know this person very well, as you and I do. But we have with us Miss Lorraine Jordan. Welcome, Lorraine. Hello, hello. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, it's good to have you. Now, you know, you have so many titles. Sometimes it's hard to introduce you, Lorraine. I mean, you're <laughs> CEO of ANA Foundation, Chief Advocacy Officer of ANA, and many other hats. So why don't you just tell our listeners who might not know everything you do a little bit about what you do? Sure. I am the CEO of the ANA Foundation, and I have the privilege to uh, oversee the activities of the foundation, which are really focused on education, supporting and funding education and research through donations from you, the CRNAs in the audience. And so with that, we've been able to move the agenda and help support CRNAs, especially in the education and research arena, of which today I think I'm going to mostly focus on the research side of the coin. But we also offer scholarships and grants Uh, for research and fellowship, a fellowship program for our CRNAs. So we have a vast number of programs that we offer, and we're able to offer those mainly from the CRNA donations. On the other side of the coin, I also serve as the chief advocacy officer for ANA. And wearing that hat, um, I oversee uh, federal government affairs, state government affairs, practice, uh, wellness, the AANA Journal publications, our fellowship program, which we have initiated recently, uh, our research and quality division, reimbursement issues. So I have a pretty wide range of activities under advocacy. So anything that directly affects CRNAs is probably sits under uh, my side of the world at AANA. Uh, of course, I work in tandem with uh, all of the other departments with AANA. But if you think about my job, my job probably are those activities in those department and business units that are directly affecting CRNAs. And so the mix of my job between the advocacy side, supporting advocacy efforts and practice efforts is a great relationship and link to what the foundation does. And 
in my job, what we actually do, and I, I have the privilege because I sit on both sides of the coin, when we review and develop programs and research activities, we actually coordinate those activities and present them to the foundation so that we're working in tandem towards the same goal uh, as a one unit and moving forward, moving this nursing anesthesia profession forward. So um, I'm really blessed and very fortunate to be able to secure the position I have, to be able to have the, both organizations work together for our profession and actually advancing the future of nurse anesthetists. So that's kind of a quick overview and how my, my actually position fits in how we operate at the ANA. Lorraine, I just wonder when you sleep. I mean, do you sleep? <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> How many hours of sleep do you get a night? You know, I'm just I'm <laughs> not a lot. Not a not lot. A lot yeah. but I, I, I'm always thinking. <laughs> but I can definitely see the overlap of the two pieces of what you do. But I can also see that one day it's going to take two people to do your job. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lorraine's not going anywhere anytime soon. We're not going to let oh, her go. I hope not. <laughs> When she starts mm. talking about retirement, we're going to strap her to her desk. <laughs> or duct tape her. Uh, that's right. That's right. Well, um, Sharon, you want to tell our audience a little bit about what we're going to be talking about today? Yes. Thank you, Jeremy. Since this was um, your, your, you your know, bailiwick. Yeah. So. This genesis of this podcast actually came from one that we released just a few weeks ago. We're taping this the weekend before Halloween. And we released a couple of weeks ago a podcast that we had done with Sandy and Nancy about the quality outcome studies that had been done through the ASA and the AANA over the last few years and kind of critiquing the studies and looking at the findings of those studies. And during our conversation, we talked about, one, the cost of these studies, which I think that a lot of listeners may not be aware of. And two, the topic came up about the million dollars that the NBCRNA gifted the foundation the year that I was president. And um, some people may remember that there was a lot of discussion, let's put it that way, around uh, the million dollars that the NBCRNA gifted the foundation. You know, Ed Waters was president of NBCRNA at that time. He and I had a great relationship. And I think it was misconstrued by the membership what the goal was and why that had occurred. So we just wanted to bring that those pieces to light, what studies were kind of funded through that endeavor, and you'll be shocked that it's not as much as you uh, think it is, and how that will forward the profession of nurse anesthesia going forward. Well, Does that kind of sum it up? Jeremy. That sums it up. I think that's a great summary. You know, but I, I to your point a minute ago, you know, with with me now being on the foundation board, I was completely and utterly shocked by the cost of the research studies that you know, I would have never imagined that. Um, so I think and you're will, the finance guy. I, really? But I, I, yeah, I mean, you know, there's just so much that goes into that, that I've learned that, you know, I never really thought about that. And I, I wonder if our listeners, you know, if you haven't done any of that and you're not a researcher, you know, you would probably have no idea the cost of these. Lorraine, what, do you, what are your thoughts around that? Well, 
the cost of the studies are, especially at the magnitude that we want to have those studies and the quality, uh, most of our studies rest anywhere between 350 to a half a million to 600,000. Uh, and that's not including soft costs. That's not including our time, AANA's time to get the studies up and running, uh, to go through interviews with our vendors. And clearly we use vendors that are not inexpensive, but we want to make sure that we have researchers that have some type of track record so that when the study's finally completed, that it has some stability within the research environment, but also with the political environment. Right. So we're using high-end research, research firms, and deliberately, or we're using researchers that have a strong sense and a strong track record because we want to make sure that the research is done absolutely to the best and the top of its ability in uh, demonstrating what the data is telling us. And then using that data for all of the things that we do in Washington and at the state level and just in the practice department. Mm -hmm. So across the board, I would have to say that the majority of our studies probably rest clo closer to a half a million dollars per study once you add the hard costs yeah. Uh, if, if we hire a firm and then the soft costs, the time, the time that it takes staff. And so it's, it's really important, I think. And the other thing, the other thing I want to say is it's not only the cost, but the time it takes to complete a study. Uh, most of our studies, we don't get done in less than two and a half years. And then I'm not even talking about publication. Once we add the publication time on, it's likely to take three, three and a half, four years before you see something in print. We've been very fortunate in that we've been able to condense the time frame that a lot of our studies have been done to about two years, which is pretty unusual. But when you condense the time frame, that also costs you more money. Right. So, uh, so the the more the faster you want it done, it costs you more. <laughs> and then trying to get it published, I can tell you that it is not unusual for us to write an or for an article to be written and drafted. It takes six to eight months to nine months to be accepted. And we may have gone to two or three journals because now a lot of the journals are doing thematic uh, journals. In other words, the theme is workforce or the theme is reimbursement. And if you're not on their schedule, you're not going to get published for a year and a half out or two years or three years. So making that all work is really like a juggling event. Mm -hmm. And we pray a lot that we don't have to drop too many but it really works well the way the foundation has been able to launch, compress our studies to get them done, and then launch them. And we try to do that based on what we assume and what we see the future is for nurse anesthetists and the data that we will need in the future. Yeah. So I don't know. I know that's a long-winded answer, but I think the cost is so much more astronomical than one would ordinarily think. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of people, when I ask them, what do you think a study costs? They'll say, oh, 25, 50,000. That's what I would have it, thought. Yeah. Not even close. Mm -mm. Not even close. And then, of course, as CRNAs, we went to an all tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so we're always oh, no. trying to squeeze our firms, our research firms, to get it done faster. And they say, oh, yeah, we yeah. can do that. Add a couple zeros. <laughs> well, you know, so, Lorraine, I think it's interesting, you know, because I just have a feeling that the average CRNA 
out there, and I can say this as an outsider, you, you know, I, I don't know that they actually know what the foundation does and what the real purpose of, of the studies are. And, you know, as I look at it as an outsider, CRNAs are involved in this, this battle. I'm not going to call it a war. It's a battle every day against ASA and anesthesiologists and a lot more money than what CRNAs have in their coffers. And, you know, as I see this, you know, this is a way to promote the CRNA industry truth about what you really bring to the table. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but, but I'd love to get across to our listeners who, you know, aren't researchers and don't understand this, what the real purpose of this is. Uh, and I'd love for you to explain that just a little bit. Sure. So I'll just give you kind of a quick overview and maybe I can give you a couple examples. So as you know, almost all of our studies, we know we do certain things, but if you don't have the evidence in Washington, D.C. or at the state level or in the practice arena, it really doesn't make any difference. You can say whatever you want. So what the foundation has really done is we've developed a research roadmap over the years and we look at what are the important issues that we have to address and what do we need to tell our legislators, our regulators, the public, healthcare executives, what do we need to tell them so that they understand the work that we do and how we do it? And as CRNAs, as you know, we're behind the scenes. We're not exceedingly visible. So it's even more important, I think, to make sure that we have that evidence that we can tell. So for instance, rural America, what does that look like? Who provides those services? How do we provide that ser those services? That's just one area that we've studied. Access to care, meeting the underserved areas of this country and providing services to the underserved population. We now have a study that we funded that says we provide access, we provide quality, quality and we decrease costs. Mm -hmm. So those are the three kind of pillars and we are effective providers. With that being said, we then focus on those areas and say, okay, what kind of data and research can we put together to be able to substantiate who we are and what we do? I'm going to give you um, one example. We did a study on quality, costs, and policy as it related to anesthesia models. And what did that look like? And what do those anesthesia models look like? And how do we demonstrate that we're cost-effective in the different anesthesia models. We looked at facility location. We looked at surgeon preferences. We looked at the organizational inertia. What did the organization do? How did they want to move forward? Here's what was interesting about that. We looked at Medicare data, identified hospitals, and then we interviewed staff. Here's what we found out. No surprise to us, but a lot of people were very confused about the anesthesia model. Who provided the anesthesia? Who was at the bedside and who wasn't? But what was most interesting in those interviews, quality was not a concern. What? Regardless, really? regardless of whether it was an all CRNA, all MDA, or a mixed model, collaborative model, quality was never the issue, never came up in huh. the interviews. Wow. What did come up if it's not quality? <laughs> they don't, and, and this is awful to say, they don't care who gives the anesthetic. As long as the outcomes are good, costs are rendered. And, and are down, of which there was a lack of appreciation of our cost models. That was clear. But what they really care about is, 
if there are no complaints about anesthesia, then let's not worry about it. Mm. And where the healthcare administrators actually grew up and were educated was a direct influencer on what the anesthesia model looked like in their facilities. Now, remember, most health healthcare executives, a lot of them, come from big academic centers. So that's what they're familiar with, the model that they see in those academic centers. Now, when you spoke with them and talked to them, if they came from a small town, they were much more open to a very different anesthesia model. But where they came from, where they were educated, and where what they've been exposed to was clearly actually a driver in how they viewed what their anesthesia model should look like within their facilities. And we funded a study that exactly studied that. And that study cost almost 400000 Wow. And it, we only, and we interviewed 46 people. That's how intense these studies are. But we learned a lot. We learned that where we need to maybe make a difference is at the decision maker's end. And the decision maker really rests within those healthcare administrators. And the cost side actually, in, in, and even in DC, has really become much more silent. And the issues in DC today, as well as at the state level, are can you decrease cost? Quality is no longer on the table, not being discussed, discussed a little bit, but not much. It's the cost side. And are you serving the underserved population and mm. rural populations? Those are the issues at hand. So then we did some studies. And in our studies, we looked at the prevalence of CRNAs in the rural area. And we found out that CRNAs the most prevalent model in rural areas and underserved areas, about 65% of those models are predominantly CRNA models, not necessarily CRNA only models, but CRNA models, where in the larger hospitals, you see that model of utilization of CRNAs and QZ go way down mm -hmm. from about 65% to about 35%. Not surprising. But what we learned from that study, and, and now we can substantiate where CRNAs work, where they're predominant models, and then where as an association do we decide to target and work with facilities to enhance that model, utilizing CRNAs and utilizing independent practice or the QZ model, if you will. That publication, and here's the beauty of what we've been able to do because of funding through the NBCRNA and their support of us and actually helping us launch these initiatives forward. NBCRNA gave us a million dollars. We partnered with them and some of the study, most of the studies that I'm talking to you about this morning were funded in part by CRNA, if not totally by CRNA in collaboration with the foundation. But those studies actually launched the trajectory for the foundation to be able to have the flexibility to ask the question and go after large firms, research firms, and use those research firms to help state our case, to help substantiate and validate who we are and what we do. The research and the findings typically have not been monumental or surprising to us as CRNAs. To the outside world, you would be mesmerized at the reaction we get when I say 65 to 70% of the anesthetics that we give are in rural America are predominantly given by CRNAs. Really? I didn't know that. 
the, the reality is that even in our healthcare systems and environment, even those at the highest level sometimes don't know the difference between a CRNA and an anesthesiologist, physician anesthesiologist. They just don't. Yeah. So with that in mind, once again, we're kind of hidden behind the scenes. With that in mind, it is our job to help validate and be able to publicly put together studies and evidence to support who we are and what we do and help those people in leadership positions understand who we are and what we do. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Let me ask you one question, Lorraine, and I'm kind of diverging from the purpose of this podcast, but I'm intrigued by the piece you talked about quality not being first and foremost. Now, we know that the ASA uses that as their messaging. Do you want to decrease the quality of your anesthetic experience by using CRNAs and the danger that potentially could be involved in that? But what I'm hearing you say is that policymakers, people in positions of power, that is not a message that moves them. It's about cost. So should we be changing our uh, forward-facing message going forward uh, based on some of the results that, that you found? So I think maybe maybe this is a way to address it. Let's see. I'm trying to think how many years ago. 11 years ago, we did um, all our no, no harm found study right. quality. I think that helps squelch all of the questions related to quality. Mm-hmm. Now, is an assumption by many healthcare executives that if they're not hearing that there's a problem in outcomes, they're not seeing lawsuits coming out of the anesthesia departments or anesthesia in general in their facilities, they don't worry about quality. I still think we still use the quality, we still emphasize the fact that we're quality providers and that there's no differentiation in the quality. The literature supports that. But that's not first and foremost anymore because they do, they're not seeing those kind of poor outcomes. Thank goodness, anesthesia as a whole is relatively safe in healthcare, relatively safe. And we have been able to diffuse the argument that has been given in relationship to ASA about quality. And that I think is always important to weave into your story, but the real story that healthcare executives are dealing with today is how can they decrease cost? How can they do that? So the emphasis I think is should be more on cost first, second, that we take care of the underserved population, whether that's Medicare, Medicaid, those in other environments, those the non-payers, we serve that population. We have evidence to demonstrate that we serve those populations and we're the primary providers in those populations. 
So because that is the emphasis today, I still say we talk about quality, but that's that's not what the healthcare systems are are really worried about. Now, cost and quality do intersect when there's a poor outcome from a surgical procedure. And we are now being held accountable for those poor outcomes 60, 30, 60, 90 days out mm-hmm. in the quality measures in the MIPS and APM program, alternative payment models. And we will continue to do that. By 2030, we are going to be held accountable and have to engage in those conversations and have to engage in those programs by 2030 in some way to get reimbursed by Medicare. And that just came out and in most Medicaid programs. So the intersection of quality and cost does occur. There's no doubt. And that will continue to occur, especially on the federal level. And what's really important is that we are no longer just held responsible and accountable for the outcome within the 24, 72 hours out. We're now being held accountable in the new alternative payment models, 30, 60, 90 days out. So keep that tucked in the back of your head when we're talking about quality. So Sharon, I guess long-winded answer is quality still important, but that's not first thing on people's minds today. Yeah. Well, I guess the ASA can't change their messaging because they can't. What they are they going to talk they about? They can't here? talk about costs. Right. I mean, they could talk about the fact that it costs so much more for them to go to medical school and they're trying to pay for all that. But, you know, I, I'm sorry, I digress. But, um, Lorraine, I mean, you said such a mouthful uh, of that. And, you know, it goes back to a lot of what I talk about when it comes to CRNAs from my perspective is if. If anesthesia is safe, whether it's given by an anesthesiologist, physician anesthesiologist, excuse me, I still get used to that, or a nurse anesthesiologist, it's safe, you know, for all intensive purposes, it's safe. And then you start to look at the cost efficiency of that. And we know that CRNAs are the most cost efficient provider out there, without a doubt. So it makes, it's very interesting. And I think Sandy or or Nancy said something about a study that the ASA had funded um, in regards to CRNAs and and that they weren't as safe as anesthesiologists. Now, I remember there were some holes in that study, if I remember right. But I want to talk about that for just a minute because let's give, let's give them their side. And the other thing I just want to ask you point blank, Lorraine, put you on the spot a little bit. You know, why do you think that the anesthesiologists aren't working in rural areas? So I'll, I'll answer both of those. The first study that uh, the study that Nancy talked about was a silver study. And there were so many holes in that. And, and um, frankly, that study still comes up, but it's pretty been, pretty much been negated uh, because of all of the issues. And a- actually, when you uh, ran the data we, we shouldn't have been given CRNAs according to the data and the information. It, we, you know, it was really flawed. It really didn't bode well. And I think that overall, every now and then it still pops up. But in general, everybody has recognized what those issues are. So why aren't anesthesiologists in rural areas? Here's the deal. Anesthesiologists can't make the same amount of money. It's Well, I shouldn't say can't. It's very difficult for them to... Uh, be able to make or have the same income in a rural setting for a lot of different reasons. And in general, we know that uh, anesthesiologists 
the anesthesiologists like to stay in, in large, metro, larger metropolitan areas. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. No, Absolutely not nothing. at all. No. And, and some of them, I would say, enjoy that environment and they enjoy uh, the larger cases, as do, may I mention, a lot of CRNAs. Mm-hmm. A lot of CRNAs like that, too, as well. Uh, but I think that for CRNAs, if they've been raised in a small town, they like that environment and they like going back to that environment. And the driver really, and I, I shouldn't say this, but their main driver is going back and serving their communities. Yeah. And I think that we have a lot, a lot of CRNAs that just enjoy the, um, and I'm the smaller town feel the more intimacy with their patients because they know p- people versus the larger academic centers. Yeah. Uh, and I believe there was a study done that indicated that, um, the uh, their in, the spouses of the anesthesiologist are usually the determinants of where they end up living and reside. Huh. I would have to say that I don't know if that's quite as true for CRNAs because um, I think that the CRNAs. But you mean general, these laid back type B personality CRNAs would want to have some input about where they live? I mean, I just can't even believe that. I can't either. It's just very <laughs> difficult to believe. But but I think that that's. I think that that's uh, clearly one of the interplays that we have to think about and talk about. Yeah. Uh, and and I, once again, I would go back to uh, the income stream. The in- income stream in rural America, I think, is yeah. is a little bit less or or less steady and a lot more. In- the workload can be a lot more intense if you are a sole provider in a community serving a large geographic area, which some of our CRNAs do. Um, we had done a study a couple of years ago, and one individual who served in a rural uh, a rural setting was serving seven different facilities. That's pretty wow. pretty incredible. I would say in general, most people in in rural areas, and when I say rural, I mean more rural areas, serve at least two to three facilities. Um, so they're really dedicating their time and their life um, to try to try to serve those communities. Well, for just a moment, so is is the Silber study really the only one that has had any research that showed CRNAs were detrimental to quality? Is that the only one out there that they've used? Uh, there's a couple others, but all of them are flawed. I would okay. say Silber is the one that always comes up. It seems that that is the cornerstone, if you will, and it's an older study. Yeah, and so I I just type pretty much negate most of the other studies because we we can demonstrate enough flaws in the study now. But that being said, there's no there's no perfect study. Right, you can always you always find limitations. You always find things that you can do better. But I have to say, in in our studies, we have really worked hard at trying to make sure that whatever we say and do that we have the data to support it and we have as much background data and information as possible to make it as bulletproof as possible. I also want to tell you that we were looking at one study where we were trying to look at anesthesia care, anesthesia providers, facilities, and we tried to pull the study together and we actually did not conduct the study because we didn't feel that we had enough information and data to substantiate what we had as had to demonstrate it as our hypothesis. Yeah. And so there are times that even though we think something's right, if we can't fully get what we need to get, then we will not move forward with it because we want to make sure that we are absolutely 
as strong and as solid as we can be with our evidence. Well, you know, another thing I noticed, Lorraine and Sharon's probably wanting me to shut up. I told her, I texted her and told her I was sorry. I drank tea this morning, so I'm like on it right now with caffeine. Um, <laughs> but I apologize. But all this stuff rushes to my head and I have to say it. But, you know, the other thing that I notice is that the CRNA related studies, you're not putting down anesthesiologists. You're not saying they don't do a good job. You're not saying they're not needed. But I find the other side, I mean, it is always, and to me, it's a really defensive posture that they feel threatened and they're, they're, they're putting CRNAs down. You're not as good. You need us to supervise you, you know, and it's a completely different feel. And it just makes me realize again, what, what happens when you feel threatened? You know, you want to grab the other person and pull them down. And that's, that's kind of the idea that I get between this battle going on between ASA, ANA, CRNAs, anesthesiologists, you guys always say anesthesiologists are great. They're part of the team. You know, we want to be part of the team, but sometimes the anesthesiologist doesn't need to be there. We can handle it. And and that's a big difference in my mind. Well, I do think that their messaging is changing in that regard. And I, uh, Lorraine and I both have been around a few years <laughs> <laughs> but I think that they are learning that lesson and they will talk about CRNAs. We're happy that they're a part of the team mm. uh, and we really like our CRNAs. And I think that they are learning a little bit in their messaging. What do you think, Lorraine? I think they are. I think the re- here's the reality. Neither of us, nor whether it's an anesthesiologist or a CRNA, can take care of and serve the public without the other. Right. Right. That, There's that, enough work to go around. And so to share that seems to be a much more attractive venture to me and to work together to make that happen is the way we have to work. Yeah. And, and none of our programs and none of us have not have, have been trained without an anesthesiologist somewhere in our world, right. in our educational system, as well as most, not all, but most of the anesthesiologists have been trained or educated with CRNAs around. So it's it's not a one or the other. It has to be a we. Right. If we really believe we want to make this a better place, we want to make anesthesia safer, we want to make it more accessible, we want to make it more cost effective, then we've got to get on board together because we've got to be a team. Mm-hmm. This, this continued um, disparity in how, and I don't want to say anger, but irritation between each other is not advantageous. And Washington, D.C. is sick of it. They don't want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. They don't want to hear about the argument. What they want to hear is, how are you going to solve my problem? My problem is cost and access. Solve it. That's what we get. And we need to buck up and just say, we're going to do that. And here's how we're going to do that. And I'd love to do that in tandem with the ASA. But right now, I, it, we're, still on, we're still on different planets on that. Yeah. And we've got to start to come together because otherwise we're not going to help solve the problem and it's going to continue as it is. And it's not in a positive direction. Yeah. Lorraine, I think that's kind of oxymoronic what you said that Washington DC is tired of this bickering and going back and forth. Cause that's what they're set up on. Right. I mean, <laughs> gotta love politics. Well, they want to bicker, but they don't want us bickering. There you go. That's right. <laughs> there you go. You know, um, as we kind of, uh, wrap some of this up. I just want to have you talk for just a minute, Lorraine, about 
your forward vision. And what I mean by that is because I know having sat in the seat, you come to the AANA board of directors, you are always thinking, always planning. You have your strategic plan of what studies you want to look at, what areas we need to look at. And that's where part of the genesis of needing money came from. Because when I was sitting in the seat, you had all of these, your strategic plan, you would come forward. We need to look at this piece. We need to look at I mean, you knew a long time before that cost was going to be a factor. And so you wanted to look at models and we didn't have the funds to be able to to follow through with your plan and your vision for the future. So why don't you talk a little bit about that and what can we as a community do and how we can continue aligning with uh, MBCRNA going forward to be able to make this vision that you have for our profession and our associations come to life? So I I would say that my vision is that we have to continue to um, understand the economic environment, which we have, we as CRNAs, we're not trained to do. And the economic environment means cost, making sure that we can decrease cost or maintain cost and continue to look at our reimbursement scheme and how we're reimbursed and how can we reimburse CRNAs so that they still have jobs in the future. And how do we work with entities to help make sure that that economic flow continues for our providers? That's that's the first thing. So on the economic side for CRNAs, but on the economic side for the foundation, what that means is we need donations from CRNAs. We need CRNAs giving to the to the uh, foundation. And then the foundation needs to continue to partner with corporate entities. And NBCRNA is right now our closest partner and has given a significant amount of money to us to have them continue to help us move forward. The other space that's starting to open up as it relates to underserved and Medicaid, Medicaid's a huge issue for us. Many states, CRNAs don't even get paid. With the new Surprises Act and non-discrimination law coming through, hopefully that's going to help us to get paid in the future. But we would have to look at where and how do we support ourselves and get reimbursed for services for the underserved. And one of those very strong populations is maternal health. And we're looking now in the office at maternal health and how do we continue to offer those services and get paid for those services so that our mothers are able to deliver safely and have an anesthesia provider ready and available to them when they're in need. One of the the most monumental times in in a woman's life is at the time they give birth. So from my perspective, cost and access still become a very strong hold on what we have to do and the research we have to do. And under under those two, and quality still remains an important element of who we are and what we look at. All of our studies will continue to uh, weave quality into where we're at. So from my perspective, I think that funding studies to increase access, continue to do that, increase quality. And from ANA's perspective, continue to grow and 
help people become knowledgeable about CRNAs, especially at the decision maker end, whether that's government, whether that's our elected officials, whether that's healthcare executives, whether that's in healthcare systems, it doesn't make any difference. We've got large tasks in front of us and our future is bright, but we've got to stay targeted. We've got to focus our resources on the right moves. And if ASA and the anesthesiologists want to join in with us, they're welcome. And I would like to encourage that relationship. But with or without them, we have to move forward and we have to keep the data and be able to validate and put forth evidence to move our agenda forward. And that really rests on the foundation because that is where our research for this profession rests. And to do that, we need funding and support to move forward. So that would be my plea to those people listening and saying, we are here to serve the profession of nurse anesthesiology, nurse anesthetist. Here's what we're here to do. But more importantly, we're here to serve the public and make sure that they get safe, quality, and cost-effective care, and they have access to that care. And that's who we are, and that's what we do. So Sharon, I don't know if that helps, but that's kind of my take on where we need to go. I couldn't have said it any better. Lorraine, I think you <laughs> oh, left sure, her speechless. That's, that doesn't <laughs> oh, happen no, very I often. <laughs> Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Lorraine, why don't you tell our listeners, you know, if they wanted to, to donate to the foundation, where they can go and, and how they can do that? Probably the best way to uh, give to the foundation is go to our website. And under our website, you can click on, uh, you, you'll see it pop up, want to give, click on the want to give button. And uh, you just enter your name and it'll pre-populate and you decide how much you want to give. There's many different funds you can give to. The general fund is probably the best fund because it allows us to uh, give, it allows the board to designate where the general operating money goes. And most of our (laughs) general operating goes, frankly, to our grants. But if you have a a specific interest or a special interest, whether that's supporting uh, PTSD or whatever, you can designate that and we allow you to do that. But the easiest way is probably online. You can always call the AANA and uh, the foundation. I'll give you that number, might as well. Uh, It's 847-655-1175. That'll get you Nat Carmichael. Nat is uh, (laughs) actually uh, oversees our operations and he can also tell you about our Friends for Life program. We'd love to have you as a friend for life. And uh, which means you have to die, though. No, you don't. No, you don't have to. You oh, you can give it while amount. you're alive. Yeah. <laughs> in cash and you're in. You're in. Well, and Sharon brings up a good point, though. I mean, you know, if there's CRNAs out there who feel charitably inclined, you know, upon their death, they can also leave money to the foundation via life insurance through their will, their IRAs or 401ks, or just give straight out money. You know, I know a lot of CRNAs out there 
maybe they're doing their estate planning or thinking about it, especially in light of COVID. It seems like all of our clients are really worried about their estate planning right now. But, you know, this industry has been great for, for CRNAs, and obviously they've made a great living at that. And if they want to give money back to help foster, you know, this profession moving forward, that's a great way to do it. And you can do that through gifting, you know, once you're gone, or you can give while you're here, right? We'll take it either way, Lorraine. Well, and I, I think it's important, and I didn't mention this, that the AANA Foundation is a 501c3. So your contribution is tax deductible. So I think that that's important to note. That usually is not the driver on why right. people give. But if you see yourself at the end of the year in, in uh, a quandrum because you uh, you need to get rid of some money and you want it to be tax deductible, <laughs> we're here to help. There you go. <laughs> you know, I want to ask a question and Obviously, I don't know the answer. Can somebody give in memorial of somebody some way? Um, because, you know, I always give my money like straight to you at the microphone or whatever, like the Fab Four always gives in honor of one of us every year or something. Um, but we can you can do that on the website. Absolutely. Great point. So some, some of the nursing anesthesia programs actually give an, either a tribute or memorial. So if they want to honor a, a faculty member or their program director, a lot of times mm-hmm. they'll pull their money and they'll give their money in tribute to, and then we publish everybody who's, who, who has been honored in that way, whether it's in a tribute or in memory of. And I don't know if, if you're aware, but some of the CRNAs who have passed away, their family members have called and said, you know what, we want the contributions to go to the foundation. So the, all those contributions that people give in memory of someone come in and you just put in the line in memory of so-and-so and that money gets tagged in the family or whomever then is notified of the contribution, not the dollar amount, but that you've given a contribution in memory of their loved one. Or if you give a tribute, in tribute of whomever. So if you want to honor a friend, you want to honor a past program director, you want to honor a faculty member, uh, you want to honor someone who helped you in a terrible case and got you out of a jam, Hmm. you can do that. And then they will get a thank you note. (gasps) Who you name gets a thank you note from us and say, you, uh, a tribute gift has been given in your name by Sharon Pierce. By Lorraine Jordan. Oh, well, I was thinking of my my Emma. What a what a yeah. neat thing. Yeah. So uh, so then and, and then that goes actually in our annual report as well at the end of the year. So it's a really neat way to give to honor somebody, but also in memory of someone. Yeah. Great. That's great I stuff. Love that. Sharon, you could even give in my honor if you wanted to. I mean. <laughs> Well, my Christmas present this year, you can just give to the foundation. Okay, I will do that. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Sharon, I, I think that's a wrap. I think so, too. Well, Lorraine, we want to thank you, as always, for one, all you do for CRNAs around the country and what you give back and the fact that you don't ever sleep. Um, We really (laughs) appreciate that. We thank you for being on the show today as well. Um, We know you're taking time out of your busy schedule. Thank you for inviting me, Jeremy. Thank you for uh, serving on the AANA Foundation Board and your generosity and time and treasure and talent. And Sharon, as always, you uh, not only as a past president uh, and serving on the Foundation Board for a little while, uh, your uh, dedication to this profession uh, is really incredible. And I want to acknowledge that. So thank you, everybody, for all that you do. 
actually both of you and all the CRNAs out there that go to work every day and make our cause. And I'm going to tell you one thing. If it wasn't for the CRNAs working out there every day, providing the quality that you provide, I could never have put together a study that said we are just as good as our counterparts in the quality and anesthesia that we provide. And so I want to take that opportunity to thank all of everyone for what you do every day. And I thank you for allowing me to uh, express my feelings and be a part of this program. Thank you. Lorraine, you're just so hard to follow. I mean, you say something, you drop the mic and you walk off and you leave, <laughs> you leave people standing there and we're like, Oh, uh, well, how do we follow that? So, uh, but no, that, that, that's, that's great. And, and you're exactly right though. Exactly right. Well, Sharon, we want to close this one out and thank our listeners for listening to beyond the mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and uh, you want to help us grow, Sharon, how can they help us grow the show? The best way to help us grow is to leave us a review because with the algorithms they have, that pushes us higher in the rankings. So leave us a review, but only if it's positive. There's enough negativity out there, right? That and Sharon, true. you know, we're in consistently in the top 50 medical podcasts. You know, we'd love to be number one at some point. Uh, but Sharon's happy with number 10. So hopefully we can get there. And Sharon, you know, I was looking at our, our statistics the other day. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, we're averaging a lot more downloads this year than we did last year and the year before. So more people are listening to us. And we want to remind everybody that you also get class B credits that you self-report. Mm. We get a lot of emails about that uh, for listening to to our podcast. You just self-report that. Don't send it to us. Um, just you self-report it yourself. So, all right, Sharon, you got anything else to say? Or did I my caffeine kick in again and leave you speechless? That's pretty much it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Until next time. It's a wrap. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748 
or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.